if you look with me in the first two verses of this chapter, Matthew chapter 5, and seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain. When he was set, his disciples came to him. I want you to envision that the Lord sat down and he began to preach. A lot of the things that the church do today, we do it as an example that was set by the Lord Jesus. We gather together because Jesus gathered people together to hear the message. We listen to the word of God and because Jesus has done it, so now we do it. It is something that is nourishing for your spiritual life. When you listen to the word of God, it causes your spirit, causes your soul to grow. And it causes your body to become subjected to the Holy Spirit. Your flesh, that is. So the word of God, when it goes out, it gives life. When we partake in communion today, what you partake in the communion is the life of Jesus Christ that flows in your body. Everything that we do in the church, if done according to the will of the Lord, it should cause you to grow every day. The spiritual nourishment, the spiritual growth will cause you to grow spiritually. Now, are you growing spiritually? Have you been growing? Have you been growing in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you know the will of God? Do you look at things and being able to discern, is that God's will or is that something that comes from me? When you hear people speak, can you discern whether what they speak are spiritual things or fleshly things? Are there thoughts that come into your mind, things that are coming from the Holy Spirit teaching you, or are they coming from your flesh? We should weigh and judge the things that we see, hear, and do, like the Apostle Paul says, and see whether or not they are of the Lord or they are of ourselves. And so, as we are looking at these sequences of spiritual growth, I want you to see where you fit in. Where are you in this journey? Are you at the beginning? Are you in the middle? Are you at the end? Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness. Sick. Now, this might be very foreign to many of us. As far, as fast away from persecution as possible. But the Lord says here, blessed are the ones who are persecuted. Not just because you do something evil, but because of righteousness sake, because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you being persecuted because you're holding on to the Lord? Are you being persecuted because you share Jesus Christ and people don't want to be your friend anymore? That's persecuted for righteousness sake. Now, we're not going to get here until we pass the other steps in this journey. Let's come to the Lord in prayer. Father, would you open up our hearts and mind and our soul so that the Holy Spirit would teach those things that we have learned, those things that we have received, heard, and see, cause us to do. And your word has promised that the peace of God passes all understanding shall keep our heart and mind through Christ Jesus. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would come today, Lord, and teach us through your word that whereby we would grow and become mature in you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The ark of righteousness, the second part of my message, ministering and returning to the beginning. You start out with recognizing that you are poor, that you are destitute of any capacity to come to the Lord on your own. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. And today we're looking at verse 10, 11, and 12. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Now listen, he said, for theirs is also the kingdom of heaven. We return to the beginning. The first part is a self-examination, a self-assessment. Are you able to stand on your own? If you are able to stand on your own, then you don't need Jesus Christ. If you are able to do this Christian thing on your own, then you don't need Jesus to die for you. You can live a good life, a godly life. I don't know how that's possible. But if you are able to do that on your own, then you don't need to mourn and call out and be comforted. 
You don't need to humble yourself. Seek after righteousness and have mercy. Do mercy. Have compassion. You don't need to do all those things. And then in the end, the Lord takes us back to the beginning. And he said, are you willing to be persecuted for his sake? When you're persecuted, do you run? Or do you face the persecution and say, whether or not this persecution came because of my wrongdoing or this persecution came because I simply believe and trust and try to do the will of God? If you are, then you are being persecuted for righteousness' sake. And here's the promise, just like the beginning. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the kingdom. Promise the same thing. So in the end, we come back to the beginning, but a little less of ourselves. The next two spiritual development stages take the Christian toward the inner sanctum, the holy of holies, where the priest meets God and pleads for the people. The next stages invite you to come into the holy place, into the holy of holies. Who gets to go in there? In there, you plead for people, for others. You plead that God will forgive their sin and forget the trespasses, that they won't die. That's the job of the priest. Are you called into that ministry? Because each one of us are called into the inner sanctuary of God where we plead for our families, for our friends. And then again, he calls out. Remember the friends on Emmaus. They went with Jesus. They talked with Jesus. They ate with Jesus. And then in the end, they turned around and went back to where they came from. In the end, we go back. In the end, we go back to the beginning. Is the Holy Spirit drawing you to God's sanctuary? Do you want to enter the holy place or you just wait for this to be over and then you go back to do your thing? Are you concerned with Christ's righteousness? Do you know what it is? Because those two steps were the last two steps. Are you concerned with righteousness? Have you learned righteousness? We study the Bible because we want to know what righteousness is. Now, if we don't know what righteousness is, then we are very confused because when we are persecuted, we don't know whether we are being persecuted for righteousness' sake or for our own faults. Are you called to minister in righteousness? Ministering in righteousness, one. When the Lord brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, God is fulfilling his promise to Abraham. And this is what he told Abraham. He said, For thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God, and the Lord thy God has chosen thee to be a special people unto himself, above all people that are upon the face of the earth. That promise was given to the people of Israel. Why was they chosen? I don't know. Do you know? Do you know why they were chosen? Above all other nations? You see, we don't know everything. In fact, we don't know a lot of things. God knows, and God chose them, and that's all we know. God has selected these people to be his own, and he selected them to be above all else. You see, we are clay in the potter's hand. He created for his pleasure. For his pleasure, we are created. We're not created for some evil. We are created for good. When God created Adam, it was for good. He said, it's good. But then we went the wrong way. Now, Israel has been chosen by God to become an example for all the nations in the world just like you. Do you know that you have been chosen to be an example for the world? The Apostle Paul said, I've been set out as an example for all to see. The persecution, the pain, the agony that I go through so that you can all see as an example, not to be glorified, but to glorify God. God blesses the people that he has chosen to be an example so that in the end, you will see. You will see those that God has chosen will be redeemed, will be glorified through Jesus Christ. 
And then here is the reason why God chose a people to bless. Genesis chapter 22, verse 18. And in thy seed, speaking to Abraham, shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because thou hast obeyed my voice. The obedience of one person, of a person that's chosen by God, Abraham, through Abraham, the nations of the world are blessed. One person. Can you imagine that? One person obey God and the rest of humanity is blessed. One person's disobedience caused the rest of humanity to go to hell. And God's saying to Abraham, you obey me, the nations will be blessed. If you obey God, the nation, not just your family or yourself, if you obey God, the nations, the people, your schools, the environment, where you are at, they will be blessed because this is the pattern of God's blessing. God chosen the people, not so that that people can thump the chest and say, hey, God chose me and didn't choose you. God chose the people so that through those individuals that God has chosen to bless others, this is the will of God. God has chosen you, not because you're special in any way of your own, because God has chosen you to be a blessing to others. If you obey his voice, can we discern his voice? Do we know what his voice is? This is righteousness. Do you know what righteousness is? The twofold manifestations of God's righteousness demonstrated through Israel is number one, they are a holy nation chosen by God sovereignly, not because of anything that they have done, separated to the Lord. They have been separated. People look at the nation of Israel and look at their neighbors. They're nothing. They don't look anything like their neighbors. They're separated to be a peculiar people, a separate people, a holy nation unto God. You have been separated not to look like the world. The church has been separated not to look like the world. But how much we long to look just like the world today. How much the churches want to look so much like the rest of the world. And when the world comes in here, they feel like, yeah, everything looks the same. I feel comfortable. Well, I'm here to make you uncomfortable. Because we are not set to look like the world. We have been separated to look different. So that people look at us, they know that we obey God. We are a peculiar people, meaning estranged people, a people who don't look like the world. And when they look at you and they talk to you, they will say, there's something different about you. You're not like the rest of the world. So that through you and through your obedience to God, just like Israel, number two, you will become a priest, a nation, a priesthood unto God. God has separated you. Now the priests are the ones who have been consecrated and separated so that they can enter into the holy place. Think about that. Now, only the Levites, the children of Israel, only those who are in the tribe of Levi are allowed to go into the sanctuary. They have to be priests. Once a year, only the high priest is allowed to go into the most holy place to meet God. How? Purity. Verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Where do you see God? In the most holy place, there's the Ark of Covenant. On top of the Ark, there are two cherubim. Between the wings of the cherubim, there's the mercy seat. Once a year, God comes down. In the Holy of Holies, on the most holy place, the high priest come into the sanctuary. And there, if he's not dead, he will meet God there. That's where you see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Imagine Jesus spoke this to the people. They're sitting on the mount. 
when he said this, this is what they are relating to. This is what they're thinking. You mean we can come into the inner sanctum? Imagine the people sitting there listening to Jesus. Jesus' invitation to them is to enter into the most holy place to meet God. This is absolutely outrageous to the people at the time. They don't understand this. But remember, Jesus says, there's someone here who is even greater than the temple. God reveals to Israel only in the Holy of Holies, once a year, no more. The high priest comes into the most holy place to ask and receive forgiveness for the people. But first, he has to cleanse himself. He has to purify himself. And then he asks the people to purify themselves. Then he takes their sin and their fault to come into the most holy place, and he asks God to forgive them. Now, if God forgives them, then his presence will be shown in the most holy place. And the priest lives to go out and t- tell the people that God has answered their prayers. This is where the mercy seat of God is shown, is when he forgives. That's what mercy is. Mercy is forgiveness. The sanctification process. Let's look with me. Exodus chapter 19 and 20. These two chapters tell you the story about Israel came out of Egypt and into the wilderness. Why did God call them to go out of the wilderness? The only reason was to worship God. That's the reason why God called them to go out of the wilderness. Why are you called out of the places where you are and into the church so that you can worship God? Israel can say, we can worship God in Egypt. But no, God called them out. They have to be separated. God meets them where he is, not where they are. This might be different to the American culture that we are in. You go to where God has dictated where he will meet you. That is the holy place. When Jesus was resurrected, he told people, go to that mountain, I will meet you there. Here, the story is the same. Three months after God has called them and delivered them out of Egypt, God called them into the wilderness so that for the purpose, now here, this is before the tabernacle, God has ordained for people to meet God in nature. Now, God called people out, and God said, I will show up, and they will get to see me. Think about the significance of what God is saying here. I'm calling the people of Israel out because I'm separating them. This is the promise that I made to their father, Abraham, that they will be a peculiar people to me, and I am here to fulfill that promise that I made with Israel. They will go into the wilderness of Sinai, and in the wilderness, they will look at this mountain called Mount Sinai. Now, he called Moses up. Moses went up, talked with God face to face. Moses came down and told the people, Get ready. The Lord in three days will meet you. Separate yourselves. Now, he gave some specific instruction. Wash your clothes. It's important for us to wash your clothes. God says so. Wash your clothes. Prepare. When you go into the sanctuary, unless you don't have it. Be on, put on your best Sunday clothes. You're going to meet God. Sometimes we just roll out of bed and get into our cars and, or run out in the street and come here. Wash your clothes. Separate yourselves from your wives. Do not touch the mountain. Wait for the sound of the trumpet. Come up the mountain and see me. Did you catch that? This is before the tabernacle. God has prepared for his people to meet him face to face. 
every single one of them that came out of Egypt. God has prepared for you to see him. This was God's plan. This was what God's desire. Of course, his salvation plan has been done. He knew this already. He knew that they won't come. But his plan was so that they can meet him. This is what worship is. Worship when you come to see God face to face. This is what worship is. Are you prepared? Have you separated yourself from the world? Have you gone out of Egypt? Have you washed the filth of the world from yourself? Have you been waiting for that sound? You see here the pattern that Moses came down and told the people were very precise and exact and clear. These are the things that you must do and wait three days. And when you come to the mountain, don't touch the mountain. What happened when they touched the mountain? They would die. Moses says, you will die if you touch the mountain. There is the pattern when the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, there is the pattern in which you come and meet God. Yes, God is personal. Jesus is a man, but God is also holy. God is also holy. Never forget that. Our God is a holy God. He is a consuming fire. When God appears to Moses, he appeared as a burning bush that is not consumed. It's ever cleansing purifying and never-ending. That's our God. Our God is a consuming fire. Remember that. When we come to the Lord, come with reverence because God knows and there will be a time when you will meet your maker. However, the people did not believe that they would not die. It's not something that's hard for us to understand. When God invites us to come, we might not come because we think that we might not have what God requires. And the people thought the same way. You see, you come to the mountain. What if you trip and you fall and you touch the mountain? You will die. And people were afraid. They were afraid that they might not be able to not touch. And you remember what happened to the ark David brought into Jerusalem. Someone reached out and touched the ark because it was tipping over, because it was not carried according to the pattern that God has given. Instead of carrying on the shoulder of the priest, he put it on the cart. And so someone touched the ark, and he died. The same way, when you come to God, no one should touch. No one is able to touch. But then people were afraid. But here's the thing. God has given to Moses a mandate. And that mandate is kept by God, not by us. It requires you to have faith to know that you will not fall, that you will not trip, that God will keep you if you believe. But people did not believe in the sanctification ordinance. They did not believe what Moses told them, God can and will keep them. They thought that they have to do it on their own. They have to try on their own. And so, this is their answer to Moses in Exodus chapter 20, verse 18 and 19. And the people saw the thunderings and the lightnings and the noise of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. It's a lot of stuff happening. And when the people saw it, they removed and stood afar off and said unto Moses, Speak thou with us, and we will hear. But let not God speak with us, lest we die. Here's the rejection of the meeting face to face with God. Now, how much we desire to say that we want to see God, but when it comes down to it, we don't want to. We want someone else to act on our behalf. We want a priest. We want to go to the priest, but we don't want to go to God directly. And this is where the institution of the priesthood 
happened. When people were so afraid to come to God directly, they want someone to stand in the middle between them and God, and that is the office of a priest. What Moses failed to do at Sinai, Jesus accomplished through his death on Calvary. Jesus tore that veil. Remember when Moses came down the mountain, he had the veil over his face because the glory of God was too much for people. Jesus tore that veil. What Jesus does is to purify us. To enter the Holy of Holies, the high priest must have the Lamb's blood. That's how you are purified. Even the high priest must be cleansed by the blood of the Lamb, anointed on his ear. The blood is the evidence of atonement, that he is purified. There's nothing to tell you, no feeling that you might have to say that, I am now clean, I can go to God. Only the evidence of the blood, that blood on the doorpost, that blood, the blood of the Lamb, in which you cannot see today, but that you have drank the blood today for those who participated in the communion today. That blood purify you. That is the cleansing power of Jesus' blood from your guilt and from your sin, allowing you to ascend up to that mountain. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 7, But unto the second, it's talking about Jesus, went the high priest alone once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the heirs of the people. The office of the priest is to come between God and the people. People have sinned. They confess their sin. He took their sin and offered it to the Lord in the holy place. And in that most holy place, God says, I forgive them. And he brings it out to the people and says, God forgive you. Your sin is remembered no more. And that's how people were sanctified. Jesus offered himself both as the lamb, the sacrificial lamb, and as the high priest. He came into the most holy place with himself and with his blood as a sacrifice. Without faith, in that, without faith in what Jesus has done for you, you will be like the people. I don't want to come. You see, Jesus torn the veil. The sanctuary, the most holy place where Israel has established is no more. You must come to God through Jesus. That's the only way today. There is no temple in which you will come in there and meet God. God is no longer in the temple. The temple was destroyed 70 AD. No more. The Ark of Covenant was never found. It's God's purpose that is never recovered the fulfillment of God's presence came down in the form of Jesus Christ. That is the new place where we meet God, the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus offered himself, and we must believe in him, not because you see him, but because what he said. Do you believe what he said? And in verse 19 of Hebrews chapter 10, having therefore, brethren, the boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. The apostles referencing the Old Testament when he said, you can now enter the holies of holies. Now, remember, the holy place right now, at the time that this was written, is only for the high priest. But he's saying, through Jesus Christ, brethren, you, my brothers and sisters, you can enter through Jesus' blood, the new covenant. Pure heart. Jesus washed us and given us a pure heart. Because Jesus says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. We are cleansed by God's blood, by Jesus' blood, the blood of the Lamb, so that we can enter into the sanctuary where we can receive mercy. Peacemaking, salvation. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Moses went up the mountain to meet God. He received the Lord's word of reconciliation for the people. And then he came down and delivered that word to the people. And people listen, and they say, that's a good idea. But when it comes time for them to come up the mountain, 
They don't want to. Peacemakers are for those who reconcile between God and man. Peacemakers are not the ones who reconcile between man and man. The peacemakers here are the ones who reconcile between God and man. Because you can reconcile between two people and then they get back together and fight with each other. But when you are reconciled to God, when everyone is reconciled to God, no more fighting. We don't have to reconcile each other. We only need to reconcile ourselves with God. And when everyone is reconciled with God, when everyone is at peace with God, then we have peace with each other. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. People did not want to go up the mountain because they were afraid. And so God sent Moses down, fetch Aaron, go up. God delivered the Ten Commandments. By the law of God, they can live as holy nation unto God. So Aaron and Moses became the priests who stood between God and the people. I want you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5 and 9. Peter uses the same imagery of Israel priestly call to show us the new covenant in Jesus Christ. In verse 5, ye also, Peter talking about us, the church, as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Then verse 9, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You are now, the church are now, the chosen people separated from the world to be a peculiar people unto God, different, unlike the world. You don't do things that the world do. You do things according to the will of God. Separated. And here is what Peter said, that you should show forth the praises of him that hath called you out of darkness and into glorious light. That's your purpose. That's your mandate. That's your life, to show forth God's praises. Do you do that? Do we do that? God's holy priests are called to stand between people and God. They have gone up the mountain and received the gospel of life, and they have came down and delivered the gospel of life. And people have rejected them. They don't want to. But you know, the gospel has power to save those who believe. Not everyone who hears the gospel will believe, but the gospel has power to save those who will believe, those that God has ordained to eternal life. I believe that. We don't know who will receive the gospel, and we don't know who will reject the gospel. It's not our job to discern who. It is our job to deliver the gospel. If you've gone up the mountain, it is because God has called you and chosen you to overcome your fear and to overcome your unbelief so that you may ascend the mountain and you meet God and you have received the gospel and now you can't stay there. You must come down to deliver what God has ordained for the people because he has called you to be nation of priesthood. You are priests unto God. You have been called into this purpose. Do you have that conviction that you must share the gospel of Jesus Christ? Peacemakers are not afraid to draw near to God. Without drawing near to God, I don't know what kind of gospel you're preaching. You must draw near to God to receive the gospel of the message of Jesus Christ. Peacemakers prepare the people for their ascent to the Father's holy mountain. Are you called to be peacemakers? Father, you have given us the ministry of reconciliation. You have caused kings and priests ordained for eternal life. You have set us apart and given us the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, 
of things in heaven, things in earth, things under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Father, give us the faith to believe that you will do your will and perform your work through our lives. That is not in the eloquence and in the capacity of our ability to deliver the gospel, but the gospel in itself has the power to save those who believe. God, give us the humility and give us the audacity to be the light, to be the salt, to be separated as a nation, a priesthood, and kings unto you to deliver the message of hope for this generation. I pray that you raise the church up in the coming days, that we would not conform to the world, but that we would conform to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ, that our minds and our hearts and our proclivities will be changed according to your will and according to your purpose. Call us, Lord, up that mountain where we will meet you and cause us to return and bring the salvation message with us. And in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.